Good evening, everyone. Welcome to The Authentic Woman. This is Shannon Fisher, your host tonight. I'm thrilled to have all of you here. Uh, We're doing a live show tonight, which I'm excited about. I've got Amy Black as my guest, and she is the founder of the nonprofit Pink Ink Fund, uh, which is a really interesting nonprofit. It offers financial assistance to women who are doing nipple and areola repigmentation uh, post-mastectomy. So she's really helping a lot of people who have had to have mastectomies due to breast cancer or even, you know, prophylactically. She's helping them kind of get their sense of self back. And um, she's also a, a tattoo artist um, very, very talented artist. She went to the prestigious Columbus College of Art and Design, and um, she's a, a, a good person, and she's trying to help some people rebuild their lives and rebuild their bodies, all the while pursuing her art. And I am thrilled to welcome Amy Black tonight. Amy, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for such a really awesome intro. I appreciate it, and um, I really love what you're doing for the show as well. So. Um, kudos to you on, on this. I, you know, I was looking through your bio and all the good work you've been doing. I seriously thought you've been doing this for a lot longer. So, thank you, thank you yeah. so much. That, that yeah. means a lot. Um, uh, yeah, cool. it's really it's it's really fun, and it's really fun to to have people like you come on and really kind of delve into, you know, delve into your life and what makes you tick and where you got, how you are, and and what it is that you're uh, that you're putting out there into the universe. So. Um, well, let's just dive right in. Why don't you tell me about Pink Ink Fund? Sure. Um, Pink Ink Fund uh, just received its official 501c3 nonprofit status um, on May 28th. And uh, what it is going to be out there doing, uh, its first mission is to give uh, financial aid, like temporary financial assistance to mastectomy patients who need help uh, with their post-mastectomy tattoo options. Um, And we do have a focus on the realistic nipple and areola or areola uh, repigmentation or tattooing um, that is done as part of the breast reconstruction. Um, But at some point, we'll also be able to focus on just decorative mastectomy tattooing um, to be able to reach out to those people who are looking for art um, instead of recreating a realistic nipple as well. Um, And there's definitely um, a rising rising, uh, need for that as well. Um, So we'll be doing the financial assistance as the first Stage, and we also will be incorporating elements of education and outreach. Oh, great. And that's going to be for the patients who are interested and also for the medical community that's interested in learning more um, and hopefully be able to reach out to other artists and um, current medical providers who are doing the repigmentation and if they want to look into, you know, um, basically bringing another source or another look um, you know, some more options of tattooing into their portfolio, then, um, you know, that's part of our educational um, programming that we're hoping to bring as well. Great. Well, this is a relatively new phenomenon, something that's kind of just starting to catch on, um, I think I've heard you say. And so so are there a lot of doctors out there who are not even aware that there are people doing this tattooing and doing the service that you're providing? Um, well, what's interesting about the uh, nipple and areola tattooing are also known as the repigmentation. It's been out there as a service that usually the surgeons or um, sometimes people that do cosmetic tattooing provide. Um, 
and I'm not really sure how long ago it ha- uh, they've been doing it. I know that it's probably been over a decade, believe it or not, um, but it's just okay. not a very um, well-known topic, and maybe it just uh, is time for it to start to have a little more of a highlight shown on it. Um, sure. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. Because you, you know, I mean, breast cancer, there's a lot of awareness focusing on that, but there's not a lot of awareness focusing on what happens afterward. And for patients to know, okay, so I know I'm going to have to have this done. This could be traumatic. You know, what's, what's going to happen now? So, so you said that you just got your um, 501c3 designation. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's going to, it really just means so much uh, for this effort um, because I started as a private donation fund three years ago, roughly. Um, And, of course, as a private donation fund, you're only going to be able to do so much and get so far, um, you know, with uh, donations and things like that, which is totally understandable um, since they can't Mm -hmm. be tax deductible as a private fund, Um, but now we're going to be able to reach out to even more people and um, hopefully spread more awareness. That's great. Tax deductible is is huge because a lot more people are going to be uh, probably willing to give donations where otherwise they wouldn't have because they'll be able to to write it off, maybe even corporate donations. That would be great. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. What was the process of becoming a 501c? How did you, from the time that you started the Pink Ink Fund to the time that you got the designation, what what did you have to go through to get that? Um, it was a lot of back and forth of, uh, you know, figuring out bylaws um, and all of the correct um, formation of the board and, um, you know, doing a lot of paperwork. And we got caught into the cycle of them uh, raising the standards of um, the regulations for 501c3s, which I think is great um, that they are reforming that whole system. Um, And it took us a little longer to get our application approved once we finally got it in there. Um, But uh, as far as what does it take to become a 501c3, I mean, Right now, we are itty-bitty small. or such a grassroots um, organization at this point. Um, so there's really not a ton of time and effort that have, we've been able to donate to the, uh, the organization, mostly because all the people that are involved with the board right now, including myself, uh, we've all, we all have nine-to-five full-time jobs. Um, right. So this is just being done in our spare time when we can get to it. Um, so... That's great that you're also dedicated that you're doing it on top of your regular uh, nine-to-five jobs, on top of what you do to make money, that everyone involved is is really believing in this process. Yeah, I mean, and when you said before, too, that, um, you know, maybe we wouldn't be getting as many donations now, or, I mean, before we were a nonprofit, I mean, it it was probably true, but I was actually really, really um, grateful and humbled by how gracious and generous people were before it was a nonprofit, that they just wanted to help, they just wanted to give. Um, And I feel like people know me well enough um, to know that they can trust me (laughs) with the money that they're giving me, that I would not just be spending it uh, just irresponsibly, that it was going to go directly to patients that needed help with it. Um, So just wanted to mention that really quickly. But, um, yeah, Yeah, as yeah. Fantastic that people were, you know, I mean, obviously the spirit of giving, you always hope that it's it's only being done in the spirit of giving, and it sounds like that's been the case with Pink Ink Funds, that, that the funds that have been donated have been donated just 
because they believe in you and they believe in the work you're doing, um, and that's that's really fantastic. Now, you said you you founded it almost immediately after you started performing the procedure. So, uh, did you? I mean, was there a need off the bat that you noticed that patients were having trouble affording this? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, as, as soon as I started to understand more of the nuts and the bolts of the insurance industry and how uh, the whole scheme of things were going to go, um, I knew that there was going to be people that needed help. And I, I formed it not specifically for my own benefit. I knew that there was probably people who maybe their insurance wasn't covering it. I didn't even know the full story, to be honest with you. I just had this gut instinct. I was like, people are going to need help with this. And even if yeah. it wasn't for the nipple and a real tattooing, just for the regular tattooing, I was like, I'm sure that there's people who are out there that I know health insurance is expensive, they're struggling, um, and they're also trying to figure out a way to do something maybe more decorative with a lot of the scarring that is permanent and left over after a mastectomy. Um, regardless of the you know breast reconstruction, you're still going to have some element, uh, even a fine scar left over. And a lot of times people are going to look to tattooing to help right um yeah to help re- fix that or to help change it so yeah it was just that kind of thing um that uh that really inspired starting the fund i had no idea where it was going to go i didn't know if it was going to be something people would want to give to you i don't know it was seriously just a thing that i felt really driven to do um and Real That's quickly. wonderful and those are always the things that lead you in the right direction when you just know in your gut i've got to do this and you follow it things fall into place they they really do um, I, so I you, hope so uh, real quickly I was just going to say that um, I after I formed it a friend who I had no idea um, needed help like that came forward and told me how glad she was that I started doing the nipple tattooing and why and um, she was a perfect example of why um, the fund needed to exist um, because she's a young girl she didn't have health insurance um, she uh, had a history of being uh, her family being BRCA positive, um, and she mm-hmm. was her mind was just reeling from trying to figure out if she was going to have to go through a, a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy, and then you know the last thing on her mind too was like, how am I going to look afterwards? What's the reconstruction going to look like? And what's am I even going to be able to afford t- this nipple tattooing after I go through all these surgeries? And I was right. just like, wow, okay. And so that, that's why this fund needs to exist. But anyway, I'm sorry, go on to your next uh, question. How, how much does it cost usually? I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on uh, the person, the service, the situation. Um, but what is the, the rough cost prior to insurance or anything to, to get um, the repigmentation done? You know, it is so varying per um, technician or surgeon or state or region that I honestly can't keep up with it to know what the low end cost is and even what the high end cost is. You know, I've only heard um, you know, mentions or rumors that there are people who may be charging, you know, upwards of over $1000 per uh, tattoo, but I can't verify that. So the best thing that I could say is that I think it'd be left up to uh, the patient to just check in and see where they wanted to get their tattooing done and then go off of the fees that are being charged at that particular locale. Right, right. Well, so you, you started doing it um, three years ago, and it's, it's become such a huge part of your life. What made you decide to, uh, to start doing the repigmentation in the first place? What made you decide to get into that, that line of work? 
Uh, it really was a thing that it was a cold call from a breast uh, cancer patient who had had her reconstruction done locally, and she was looking for someone that could try to recreate a realistic 3D-looking nipple and areola on the surface of her flat implant. Um, she also was hoping she could find a woman as well. And she'd just been researching tattoo shops around the Richmond area. Um, and she'd already called a couple of studios before she ended up uh, contacting me. Um, and as soon as she as soon as soon she emailed me or called me, and I, once again, there's, I've mentioned this before in uh, some interviews and everything, but as soon as she asked me if I knew if I could do this work for her, I just told her yes. I didn't even hesitate. I was just like, yeah, I can do this for you. At the time that she contacted me, I'd been tattooing for over a decade, um, and then also I, it just completely tied into what I went to uh, Columbus College of Art and Design for, which was fine art mm-hmm. oil painting, excuse me, fine, <coughs> fine art oil painting with a focus on human anatomy. So That's amazing. It just all fell into place. So she ended up randomly calling me, and I just said yes. Um, and then on top of that, um, I didn't know that the surgeon's office that she was coming from uh, were, were actually losing their current um, assistant or technician that was doing the tattooing. So they ended up having an opening um, that I was unaware of at the time. And uh, so, yeah, it was this, another completely like unplanned event. Um, and then at almost at around the same time, um, I have a client who is a uh, he's an anesthet or was it anesthesiologist? He might be a nurse mm-hmm. anesthet- uh, anesthesiologist, but um, he was in session with one of the surgeons from uh, Richmond Plastic Surgeons uh, Surgeons, and uh, he said that before they were getting ready to you know go in on uh, start working a patient, um, the surgeon just paused real quick. He was like, before we get started, he was like, does anybody know a good tattoo artist in town? Um, because uh, they were losing their other uh, person that was doing it. And uh, my client said that he was, you know, just up at the top end behind the ether sheet. He said he just slowly raised his hand and <laughs> he gave him my name. So, you know, it was like this, <laughs> it was like this uh, three events that told I had absolutely no idea what happened. And they all wow, happened that within, is, yeah, right probably a month that of each other. Go ahead. Both definitely. So um, so you do some work in your studio and then some in the plastic surgeon's office. Is that right? You kind of split it between the two? Yes. And what yep. is the difference? I mean, between one setting and another, um, as far as, as, as what you do or, or how it's done, is there any difference in uh, the technique that you use when you're doing you know, it on your own or when you're working in conjunction with the surgeons? No, um, I am still working on my own when I'm working on site at the um, surgeon's office. The technique is the mm-hmm. same. So it's just the, um, the service that uh, the environment and the atmosphere that's offered to the patient, of course, is going to be a little different. And I am, have no problem. I totally understand. You know, I'm dealing with people that, that pretty much that's all they've done is go and visit their doctor for all of these different um, services that they've been needing to get done or procedures and surgeries. So they feel more comfortable just keeping it, you know, in-house at the, at the uh, surgeon's office, and that's fine. And I love working with the surgeons over there. I will tell you they are, have been some of the most welcoming and amazing colleagues to work with. I am, I am just completely blessed and, and honored to be a part of their team. Oh, that's um, great. And I, I know that they're lucky to have you too. I mean, it, it seems like okay. it's meant to be that you, that you go over there and, and, and do this kind of thing. So I know 
there's some pain involved with tattooing. Anyone who's had a tattoo knows that. Um, so after after getting mastectomy, are the are the nerve endings in the breast uh, kind of gone or dulled after that, or the or the senses still as strong as they were before? It's a very mixed response per patient and even per side if they've had a double mastectomy. Um, the different procedures affect the body differently, and I've learned over the past three years that it, you can never uh, know exactly how or when a patient is going to have full or varied levels of sensitivity come back during session. Um, and I'm very honest about that with the patients. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the the patient that comes in and says, you know, I can touch my, myself right there and I don't feel it, but during the tattoo session maybe they get a little zap or a little zing. Um, it's not that I would ever want anyone to feel discomfort, but at the same time it's a great sign that their body, their network of nerves are starting to grow back. Um, but uh, Go ahead. I, I was just saying definitely that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and so... Um, you know, there's been patients who have had no feeling and were just, you know, working, going along, getting, you know, the tattooing done, and all of a sudden out of nowhere they'll just have this, like, surge of sensation. And uh, it can be surprising to them, and sometimes it'll catch me off guard too. Um, but it's kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of wonderful in a weird way. That is wonderful, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to, to be able to, to feel pain, it, it shows that you that you have sensation. So that yes. that's great. Um yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a sensitive area of the body normally, so to to have some of that sensitivity back, I you're really kind of returning returning a sense of normalcy to their lives, you know, especially with your with your 3D technique so that you really do realistic looking nipples. And so, I mean, when you're finished with this work, you're you're look they look at their breasts and uh if they're doing the repigmentation, it you know, they they look like they did before to a certain extent and uh I imagine that that really provides an emotional benefit for these women. Um you know, I mean it's it's emotional in any situation. So, have you had any uh Anybody, any of your clients really talk to you about that, about the, the way that it's made them feel when you've, after you've done the procedure for them? Oh, yeah. I mean, every single woman that I've come into contact with, you know, they've already gone through so much. Um, and so for a lot of them, this is the final step um, of this incredibly, you know, intense journey. Um, and there's so many different ways that they're all approaching it. Um, you know, whether they're alone or whether they're with family members that come with them. Um, it's always something different. And so it, it it's pretty much indescribable. I think I try to really make sure they know that I honor that they could be, they could go through a whole host of, you know, emotional um, sensations and, and things once they're finally done with the tattooing. Um, Because I can't even imagine what that's like to lose something that is, you know, so important to most of us as females. I mean, you know, there's some women that aren't really attached to how their breasts look or or anything, and that's fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, But um, to lose that, you know, if it does mean a lot to you, um, and to have to mentally cope with the loss of that, of seeing it gone, right. it could be so, you know, surreal in itself. 
um, on top of all the other uh, layers of, of issues that you're dealing with, the, um, the cancer diagnosis, the cancer treatments, which can be really, really intense. Um, and then you, know, you think about the sometimes the emotional um, uh, aspects of all the people around you who are also going through this with you. And they, you know, they they carry all of that sometimes with them. So whenever they're coming in for this final thing, you know, a lot of them are just so excited. You know, they just can't right. wait. They're like, you know, okay, I went through the chemo, I went through the radiation, I went through the expanders, you know, um, I went through healing every single surgery, uh, which usually can take months. Um, I went through all of this, and now the final reconstruction, and now I get to have that coloring back, that nipple back, and then hopefully mm-hmm. I can, you know, just walk on out of here and I'm done. And so It's yeah. almost like literally the cherry on top. <laughs> it is. We do. Yes. There's many ways that we talk about it, um, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's like getting to the finish line or the cherry on top, or you know, the exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so whenever they're finally able to to get to that point, um, you know, I just honor and respect whatever uh, whatever happens and whatever they need to have go on at that moment. Um, sure, so I, sure. I know, is that a vague way of answering your question? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it was an open question, just kind of, you know, because, I mean, it is. It's, it's got to be a really emotional response, and so it's great that you that you honor that and that you know that everybody's journey is different and, um, you know, that you're yeah. kind of listening to individual stories. So have you have you had any men come in for this procedure? I have. Um it's really touching too. Um, you'll definitely have the husbands um, and even sometimes the sons, believe it or not, who are there. And I just have such immense respect for them. Um, yeah. You can tell how much love and and caring that they have. They're there to. They're so great. You know, they're just right there. They're the, they're their rock, and they want to make sure that everything's good um, for their wife or their mom, and that you know that whatever they need is done. And you know, it's it's beautiful. I mean, and, and anyone that is there to accompany, um, you know, their uh, mother or their sister or you know what have you, mm-hmm. is definitely amazing. Um, uh, but I definitely I do really respect a lot of the men that come in with the patients with their wives. I know that's really tough and I can't imagine what that's like, you know. So well, um, yeah, but, but I mean to be supportive of, you know, every step of the way and all the way through to the end, that's that's great. Have you ever performed the procedure on a on a man? Um, you know, not yet. There's a really low percentage of men that, um, but they do also contract breast cancer. Um, I just uh, met another uh, a male breast cancer survivor um, online, and he started his own nonprofit. It's great. I love uh, how he's going about it. It's called Protect the Pecs. Mm-hmm. And, That's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, and he shares his story very candidly. Um, and it was very interesting to see the male perspective on how he dealt with it. Um, of course, overwhelmingly, it is a female issue. Um, but when he had to go through his diagnosis and everything, I, he said there weren't even, like, um, male 
uh, oriented questions on his paperwork sometimes when he went into the medical centers to be treated, you know. And the it was so, your last menstrual period? Well, yeah, I know. And uh, in one way you go, man, really? And then another way it is like, well, I'm sure if you looked at it statistically, it's probably who knows, ninety percent or above is female. So that's just what they've been used to, you know, to working with. Um, sure. But. I have a lot of respect for this guy. He's trying to raise a lot of awareness um, for men that uh, deal with breast cancer. Um, and I've consulted maybe with one other um, man who showed up at a cancer support meeting um, where I'll go out and I'll do, like, um, photo presentations and Q&A to uh, patients mm-hmm. that just want to learn more about the, the tattoo options. And um, yeah. so far that's it. Um, but wow. I, I know yeah, they're out there. You know, mm-hmm. and I and I want anyone who might be listening that this service is just as available to them as it is to women. So that's that's wonderful, and and I think that men really, you know, I mean, there there are men out there that are getting breast cancer, and I I think it's probably not um, not found as readily as it is in women because they're not checking, they're not doing the breast self exams. I mean, women are conditioned from an early age to check and do your check and you go to the doctor annually and whereas with men um it's not something that they're necessarily looking for so um yeah that is great that he's that he's raising awareness of the of the issue with men now Mm -hmm. so you've got um you were talking about doing picture presentations and, and showing people options you've got a book that you call the nipple book right yes and that it kind of shows uh, nipples of all shapes and sizes and colors. So, so kind of tell me about the book and, and tell me why you did it. So the book, yeah, um, it is. It, there was a huge need that I found um, when I first started of um, a resource for the patients that were coming in, and we were trying to discuss um, what they wanted their new nipple in a reel to look like, and. Mm-hmm. Several of them had no memory of what their original really looked like um, and or they weren't sure if they could get a hold of their um, original photos. Um, now, as I've prog- this is three years ago, and I, I was new to figuring out all this stuff for the patients as well. Um, nowadays, it's not so hard, um, I'm finding, to get a hold of those pre-op photos. Mm-hmm. But in the earlier stages, it seemed really incredibly difficult. And it, it, I could tell that it was difficult for them during a consult to have to think about things they really never really paid attention to before at all. Um, and right. I think that's that's normal for the average, um, you know, female, uh, American female to, you don't stand there in the mirror and stare at yourself for hours on end and remember minute details, like how many... Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, how many bumps did I have on my um, areola? I didn't even know there was a name for those things until I started tattooing them. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, what it's is just the name texture. for them? <laughs> They're called the Montgomery glands, and I think that's still the abbreviated uh, term for them. But what they are is they're just um, oil ducts that are uh, mm-hmm. situated in the um, areola complex, that's, um, and they help keep the area moist. So okay, yeah. Uh, and then we all have them, and in, in some people oh, they're more prevalent, and then some people you barely see them, but they're there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so you all sorts of different nuances in every single person, I would imagine, on on either side. And so, yep. so you take, so you you've got these pictures, and you're showing them to the patients, and you're saying, 
you know, is this, has anybody picked anything that was completely different than the, the nipples and areola they had before just for fun so that they could have a new look? Yeah, yep, definitely. There's plenty of women who um, would tell me that they were unhappy with their nipple and areola shape. Um, a lot of times after breastfeeding, it can really change the coloration and the shape and size of your nipple and areola as well as your breast shape. Um, and maybe they wanted to go back to what they had, or maybe they never liked how dark or light they were, um, or how brown they were. There's, you know, a whole host of um, of uh, options that are available to them. <laughs> and I'm more than happy to be there for the patient. You know, I rarely do I try to corral them into, a, a, you know, a look or a color that I think is correct. I find that um, the bulk of the people that I talk to, um, if you just ask them the right questions and let them feel it out, they're, they're going to tell you, you know, what feels right. mo- most natural to them. Well, sure. And I, I mean, it's the same thing as with a, a regular tattoo, you know, someone's coming in and getting something on, on their own body. And so it's a very, um, you know, it's a personal thing that they're uh, doing now. So you're a tattoo artist by trade. You've been doing this for years and years. Um, and so what percentage of your work now is nipple repigmentation as compared to regular tattooing? It's still a really low percentage, believe it or not. Um, and uh, so I would say for this year in the last three years, for uh, maybe as high as 90% of the regular decorative tattooing that I do, 10% of that would be the nipple tattooing. Um, And I think there's only a couple reasons for that. Um, First of all, it's still a new thing that's going on with the level of more detailed uh, nipple and areola tattooing that is coming out into the field. Mm -hmm. So it's it's so brand new that I'm still finding and and being contacted by uh, clients and patients um, who don't know that it's available at that level. So, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, so you know, hopefully Pink Ink Fund can spread awareness and hopefully yeah. uh, interviews and articles can, can really get the world the word out there on a, on a nationwide level because, I mean, are there, how, I mean, are there people doing it, I would imagine, all over the, all over the country? Is there any sort of network um, that, that is built that you guys communicate with one another? I mean, it's, I think it's kind of, we're right at the beginning of that, believe it or not. Yeah. So it, there's networks that are trying to be created, and that's something that I'm hoping Pink Ink uh, Fund will be able to bring to the table is a comprehensive um, you know, network that is going to be available uh, to both medical providers and to um, the patients at large. Sure, sure. I mean, like your, your nibble book. I mean, that would be a great resource for, um, yep. you know, for anybody that's doing that how many people did you have model for it um there uh, i think there was over 100 um ladies because i just put out a volunteer call i was like this is what i'm doing i had no idea who or how many people i would get to come and you know let us basically just take photos of your natural nipple and areola you know no identifying you know part of you other than that and it's yeah. not something that I'm making available publicly even you know right now it's just uh, kept uh, to my clients um, until we can figure out a way to maybe you know make it into a nicer publication but uh, it's really there for the for the medical community you know not Absolutely. not just the general public um, so um, but yeah I think we had over a hundred um, and I did at least two sessions of photo 
shooting for it, um, and it was incredible, uh, the outpouring of support of women that showed up and wanted to de- uh, devote their time, you know, to allowing someone else who might need photos of um, a ne- natural nipple and a real, they were more than happy to. Um, so I was, um, again, <laughs> amazed and totally grateful um, yeah, that's really that. fantastic. It, it yeah, really it, seems like people are really coming together to to support this. That's yeah. it, on every level, helping you build the book, to giving donations, to donating their time on the board. Um, that's it's really it's really fantastic how it's all kind of coming together and and people are dedicated. Yeah. Well, so prior to prior to even becoming a tattoo artist, um, you've been an artist all of your life. You went to a very prestigious, prestigious art school. So what was, what was it like in art school, and what kinds of things did you study while you were there? Um, for my foundation year, it was pretty standard for a fine arts oil major. Um, I was doing um, oil painting, foundation in that, um, drawing, um, 2D drawing. Uh, you had to do perspective um, for uh, graphic illustration type stuff, um, and uh, a basic anatomy class that was Mm -hmm. separate from your drawing class where you studied the muscles and skeletal structure of the human body. Um, There was, uh, like, still life, life painting. Um, There was uh, figurative um, classes as well. Um, And then color theory, which I mention a lot because it totally blew my mind (laughs) and uh, never, never thought that that was a thing or how important it could be until I took the class. Um, so what did you learn in the class? In color theory, um, the teacher gave us hundreds of paint chips mm-hmm. um, and multitudes of color variances, and we were given an empty booklet with grids printed, printed into it. And then our homework would be to take certain color um, classes that had, were just in a like mixed up and then uh, glue them into the book according to like hue and value. Wow. From, like, from yeah, from darkest to lightest or from brightest hue to to least bright, you know, to less. Um, and it would be incredibly difficult sometimes. You sure. know, <laughs> it was it would be like maybe ten shades of this very subtle gray-yellow, and you would have to try to figure out which one was brighter than the next one and hope that you were right. And it was this incredible exercise that just exercised. It it taught my eyes how to um, pick up all these subtle variances in color that I'd never even paid attention to. And as soon as I was done with – sorry, go ahead. I just said that's phenomenal. I mean, what a great exercise and what a great way to train your brain. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I didn't even know that a warm uh, and a cool gray or black existed before Mm -hmm. I took this class. Um, I knew that there was some tricks in using some extra colors added into, say, black, if you wanted to do a certain thing or trying to match one. But um, it was this whole other level of understanding uh, color and the language of it. Um, it, it it was really great for me. So um, that, that contributed largely to your successful career in the arts because um, 
you know, to have that kind of foundation, I mean, a, a clear understanding of color and hue and shade and all of those qualities. Um, so what made you decide to pursue the arts as a career? Uh, I... <laughs> you can you can see it in the TED talk that I did if you ever um, saw that one. But I literally said that I wanted to be an artist from like kindergarten. <laughs> it was always what I wanted. Like when they ask you what you want to do, and you're you know little grade school stuff, or just what you always do when you ask little kids as they're growing up, what do you want to be every year? Artist. Right. I didn't even know exactly what. I wanted to do I when I was younger and growing up I knew that I enjoyed drawing landscapes and you know animals and whatever and you know my parents were awesome they never stifled me and said well that's nice but you're not going to make money doing that you know they they totally encouraged me they um took me to art classes that were outside of my regular schooling um they constantly gave me um art supplies and um books and stuff and anything that you know uh, they thought could enrich my 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 art that I was doing. Um, that is so, so rare and so wonderful because a lot of parents truly don't understand, uh, you know, when a child has a propensity for for some type of art that they have to do it, you know, and that they nurtured that in you. Um, you were very lucky. That's 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 really great. Um, I thank so you, them you, you, all you the time for that. You know yeah. what that you wanted to do, but you, when you first got out of school, you painted murals. Is that right? Um, yeah, I was uh, painting interiors of houses and doing really simplistic um, murals inside of that before I graduated. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about stuff like decorative grapevines and kitchens and, you know, just standard stuff, which was cool. Um, but right. after, yeah, after I graduated, I did land a job at an art warehouse in Columbus, Ohio, and what they did was anything as simple as creating the um, the standard awnings for something like Bath and Body Works, which you wouldn't know, but at least back then were all hand painted. Um, oh, yeah, all those red. If you know what I'm talking about, the red and um, cream colored yeah. checkered awnings. Those used to all be hand painted. Even the metal ones were all hand painted. Um, we used to do reams and reams and reams of hand-painted pink and gold plaid wallpaper for Victoria's Secret. <laughs> All hand-painted. That's amazing. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I still don't know why they had it hand-painted um, for for that particular store. I honestly don't don't know <laughs> why they couldn't have it just fabricated. But, um, yes, many, many hours spent in a warehouse um, just painting lines with a paintbrush and a ruler, believe it or not. Um, but it was, oh. a, it was a job, you know. <laughs> so, a job in the art field. So that's, yeah. you're, I mean, you're lucky. You're getting paid to paint, even if it is checkers, you know. That's awesome. No, believe me, um, I, was, and, I was thankful, yeah. So what, what took you from painting to tattooing? What was the, what was the process there? Um, it was a pretty organic process because while I was in art school, that's when I started getting small tattoos. Um, I'd always mm-hmm. been attracted to seeing them on people, and I thought they were really awesome. And I wanted to just get a really tiny one in college to see if I was okay with having a mark on my body like that. Um, and so I did, and I just instantly fell in love with it. So if anything, I was just co- a collector at that point in time. That's great. And so you moved from Ohio to Virginia. What what brought you to Virginia? Um, basically, after spending most of my formative years in Ohio, 
because um, I was there for uh, probably from the time I think I was around five or six or seven, uh, and I mm-hmm. left when I was probably about 23. So it was just uh, most of it was that being ready to get out of where you grew up. Right. So um, that was a big factor. But um, the next biggest factor, if not the bigger factor, to be honest with you, was the arts scene. And for mm-hmm. me, living in the middle of the country, you always felt like you kind of got the art um, trends last. You know, they always seemed like they originated on the coast and then they slowly kind of bleed inwards towards the middle of the country. And I just wanted okay, to be closer to that. That's wonderful. And then so uh, very shortly after arriving here, you got an internship at a tattoo studio. Um, so, And you went from not too long from being an intern to owning the studio. So tell me about that and tell me, I guess, about learning to tattoo and what made you know that this was what you were meant to do and, and how you, you took over the studio to have it your own. Um. So another reason why I did move here was it has a really strong um, tattoo community. So, mm-hmm. And I, I knew that coming into here. Um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to learn how to tattoo when I moved here. Um, mm-hmm. and I just knew that I loved being in such a rich um, tattoo scene that was pushing beyond the boundaries of what I was used to seeing in, uh, in more older uh, versions of tattooing that were a little more biker-looking um, maybe. Um, so for me, I moved here, um, I thought I'll just get like, you know, a basic job and try to figure out what I want to do with my life. I didn't know if I wanted a tattoo and then get tattooed by some of the phenomenal artists that were here, you know? Right. Um, so that was one of the things that was going on. And then, um, you know, after probably about a year and a half of not even thinking about tattooing and having lived here... It was just one of those gut things where I was like, I really feel like I need to give this a shot. I just got to do it. And um, I knew how tough um, tattoo apprenticeships were, and I knew that if I could learn from some of the um, guys that I knew here, uh, and one of them that I wanted to get tattooed by, I mean, that it would be incredible. Um, But, again, it wasn't necessarily always the focus. I think I just wanted to make sure that I was taught correctly um, and I had... Uh, found someone who's really well respected. Um, so that was kind of the setup, and uh, figured out after a while that it would probably be the best uh, situation to learn um, from the uh, the guy that I was uh, getting tattooed by a little bit. Um, and we were also, yeah, I mean, we were also dating at the time, which made it a little. <laughs> A little tricky, um, and I had told him too. I was like, you know, I'm not dating you to get an apprenticeship. Um, I really, really am inspired to learn how to tattoo to the point where if I need to actually, you know, go somewhere else to do it so that it doesn't affect our relationship, I would prefer to do that. Right. Um, but in the long run, I let him think it through, and he said, no, we should do this. So in any respect, um, you know, I'd been doing just some light admin stuff for their shop at that point, um, and he said, no, let's make this happen. I was like, okay. Um, so that's how the apprenticeship happened. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly of, you had a, a passion for it, and you were, yeah. you were ready to roll. So, um, so how long did the apprenticeship last? How long between the time that you start learning how to do it to the time that you're, uh, you know, doing it, doing it on your own? Um, 
it, it, believe it or not, it was a little bit of an organic thing too. Um, I know that there was probably at least a six-month period where I was just drawing and doing whatever he had told me to do. Um, sometimes it would be tracing drawings of other tattoo designs he'd done. Um, maybe it was mixing pigment. Maybe it was uh, looking and learning machines and all this other stuff that uh, you know he thought was really important. Um, so probably about six months passed before I actually tattooed anybody. And he was the first person that I tattooed before he um, said that I should start tattooing other people. So. Oh wow, that's that's brave. He was he said I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be your guinea pig. That's great. So what what was the first tattoo that you did? Um, there was a mix of stuff. I remember that there was a rose um, on that uh, just like an outline of a rose that it did on his lower leg, um, and there was a couple other pieces that we never finished. But it was just you know to practice outlines stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, it's it, it's so clear. I mean, I've I've, I've seen your work, uh, and you, you have an immense artistic talent. I mean, it's really, you, um, it's really it's really beautiful kind. the things that you've done, and and you've I mean, you've won awards. You've been uh, you know best tattoo artist and best tattoo studio uh, for you know all of the local magazines multiple times. Um, and so, why do you think that you have? become so popular and so well-respected? I mean, is, is there a style or technique that you use that is different um, than other artists are using? Because, uh, I mean, clearly what you're doing, it works. I get, um, thank you, first of all. Um, I get asked that. And um, there's definitely an element um, of the shop that I'm, that's now mine, um, that when it was, it was created, it was just two guys that were really, really well-respected in the, um, the culture here. And I had an immense amount of respect for them as well. They were shooting for more of a fine art type of approach towards the tattooing that they were doing and really trying to create a different, um, a different atmosphere for the shop itself. Um, you know, they, they didn't really advertise ever, and there was a um, art gallery in the front end um, where you know we would curate um, you know different kinds of fine art um, to do shows like once a month in the front. Um, and this was in like '97, '98. '98 was when I moved here. Um, so, That's for, sorry for the late '90s. I mean, to have that kind of connection uh, between a tattoo parlor and a gallery—that's great. Yeah, I mean, they were really shooting for something different, and so and it was always. Um, low-key uh, and more doing things word of mouth um, than having to do a lot of above-ground advertising. Um, and so for whatever reason, it just generated um, a different, um, you know, a different audience. Um, and I think it honestly probably was always there, those people that wanted something different, you know, mm-hmm. that, that brought a, for whatever reason, they just didn't, you know, want to go into the traditional street shop, which, um, you know, I love traditional street shops because that's where all of the tattooing really started here in America. Um, but, yeah, people were just ready for something that was maybe a little more on the, like I said, the fine art perspective or whatever they needed. Um, so that was kind sure. of the base. Um, then what also came from that is that we were always made sure that we treated people with respect, you know, that you were just treated as a regular person. We didn't care if you had never gotten tattooed and you were coming in from the suburbs and you're, you know, and you didn't look like a tattoo client at all. You know, we were going to treat you just the same as someone that was coming in with uh, full sleeves and working on a bodysuit. I think that right. also created a really um, 
nice level of respect for them to realize that hey we're we're here to treat you as human beings not you know we we aren't connected to whether or not you have a single tattoo on your body um, right yeah so, it's just a professional client based um attitude that's you know with the added aspect of fine art that a lot of tattoo artists can't do so um, I mean, you, you've done this for so many years, and you, you know, you, you're sometimes backed up months at a time. So, what is it about tattooing that you love so much? There's a lot of things about tattooing that I love. So, <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a really open-ended question. Um, but I could probably at least talk about some of the top top couple of things that I love sure. about it. Um, Definitely. The, the the art, of course, from growing up, being visually oriented um, is huge. And being able to have art that, you know, normally when you were growing up, the definition of what was art was something that was kept on your wall. Right. That, that was it. Or maybe it was a sculpture, and that was art. But the idea that I could put something and have art on my body, something that I chose and something that I loved, and to have mm-hmm. that painting or something with me forever, that was so amazing when I first understood what tattooing was about and what it could be. Yeah. And, and that's what was becoming available whenever I started to learn about tattooing in the early 90s because they were starting to break over from the more like sailor and biker tattoos into the fine art field. You know, people like Don Ed Hardy were pushing it that way. And I, it was mm-hmm. just like, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's that element that for me was huge because I wasn't rich growing up. You know, I couldn't think of ever buying, uh, affording all these expensive paintings that I would see in galleries. I wasn't sure if I'd ever would. So this was a way for me to have it. Um, that makes and so, sense. And it's always with yeah. you. Yeah, it's always with you, um, and it just means so much to me from coming up with that artist's perspective to be able to think that I could I could have art with me like that. Um, so that, and then um, also I love um, the element of uh, all these other things that it can serve for you. It can be um, something that helps you remember a happy time, you know, in your life. You're going to have that forever for you. Right. Um, it, yeah, it can remind you of a special person that meant a lot to you. Um, so that's going to be with you forever. Um, it could be so many things. So do you find that people are, are coming in more often than not for something of personal significance? It's um, I'd say that the bulk of my clients come into me because they are. Now, I know that there's been, you know, people that are maybe like thinking, you know, I I can't stand all these people that always have to put all this meaning into their tattoos. I just want something pretty. That's fine. I also have right. those clients, you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, I will say that the reason I got into tattoos is because I know that for my personal tattoos, a high percentage of them are personal for me. They mean um, certain, you know, like uh, there's certain times in my life that I wanted to uh, have – a, an image there that that meant a lot to me, and it was like these landmark times, you know, these certain things that I uh, reached, these goals. And for like me, a body being, map of life. That's that's yeah. a really interesting perspective. That's great. Yeah, um, 
so uh, since I came from that place, I naturally am uh, available to the other person that's trying to do something that means a lot to them for whatever reason. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm respectful of that. Sure. So, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like this is really a rewarding career for you, um, in the in the traditional tattooing that you're doing, and also in the um, the nipple tattooing, you're you're really getting a lot out of it as an artist and also as a human because you're um, you know you're really helping these people mark their lives and improve their lives. Have you um, have you ever had anybody wimp out and stop in the middle because of pain and leave with half a tattoo or anything? It's happened, I think. <laughs> Less than a handful of times, but it has happened. Maybe five times. Yeah. But um, yeah. It, it, you know, it's uh, if you've never had a tattoo before, there's absolutely no way of telling you how it's gonna feel. I can give generalizations, but beyond that, you know, you never know. And so sure. once in a while, there's that person that will come in and have this fantastic plan, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> not in the cards, and uh. <laughs> I I tell them, you know, that's okay. But I will I will say that I really, really try to uh, make it as easy as possible as I can um, for the clients that come in to me. And there's always a way that we can work through this for the most part. If it means that they're trying to get an entire back piece but they can only sit for an hour at a time, I have clients that get through it like that and we finish it. I just finished this one girl's that we had to do it like that and we've been working on her back piece for probably three years. So. Wow. Wow. But you got it done. That's great. Yep. That's, you know, yep. the um, – and that's the kind of relationship it sounds like you have with your clients, that they really trust you and um, and they come in and, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're offering an environment that is inviting, like you said earlier, to everybody, every kind of person, and you can work through it and, and work it however you want it to be. Now, so going back to the Pink Ink Fund um, – is there a specific process by which people apply for assistance, and is there a, a particular group that you're kind of aiming toward more than others? We are so new <laughs> that we still have to get um, all of those guidelines in place. Um, yeah. So it's really only going to fall into two categories, though. Either we're going to be figuring out a way of uh, you know, handing out grants um, and or uh, you know, we may need to check things due to financial um, need, uh, depending on whatever types of records you know we need to check with, um, so I that's the the area of the admin that I am not that knowledgeable about. Um, I will tell everybody again and again that I know my strengths and weaknesses, and I am there to create and to you know be on the art end of it, and then the admin end of it will be delegated to some very wonderful people. <laughs> who well, that's what makes this organization is that everybody's doing yeah. you know what where their strengths lie yeah so i am sorry to have to be a little vague on it but like i said we seriously did not have any traction on it due to the people that are involved we all have nine to five jobs and it was taking us so long just to get approval that, right and you, you know got approved just, i mean very yeah, recently did, and yeah you've got uh your website is pinkinkfund.org is that right yes correct and then you have a Facebook page, and I actually on the um, on the broadcast page on the Blog Talk Radio page, I have a link to your Facebook page. Thank um, you. And you're 
having your first major fundraiser right now. So tell tell us about that's that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> On top of everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so this wonderful local company um, to Richmond called Bonfire Funds um, reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, this is what we do. We love what you do. We'd like to help you raise money by um, printing, you know, fun, comfortable shirts. I was like, okay, <laughs> this sounds great. <laughs> Um, let's see, what do I do? And um, the uh, owner was so easy to work with and gracious and answered a million of my annoying questions, like no problem. So he is, he's great. Um, but it was just a, it's kind of, it's not, I don't know if it's like Kickstarter or not, but basically it's, you put in a, a design template for a t-shirt, um, you get to pick one color of shirt that you can print on, um, and then you get to set how long your um, campaign for your fundraiser is going to run. Usually they say two to three weeks is good. And then maybe you set a goal for how many shirts you'd like to sell. Um, they, their template on their site is really easy to fill in. They keep $10 per shirt that's printed, and then the rest goes to your fund. Um, and what? I'm sorry? I said great. Oh, yeah, and uh, what's really wonderful about this company is that you don't have to put money up front, which is the big hurdle for a lot of people who are really small, like I am as a business or a, a nonprofit or whatever. Um, right. It's all, yeah, like you, you, you get gain pledges, and if you meet your goal, um, then they're going to print the shirts. If you don't meet your goal, then, then nobody gets you know anything, but also no one's credit card or, or, or pledges charged. Um, That's um, okay. Yeah. yeah, there's no risk of loss for the organization because if, if right. you know if, if you're not going to make the money that you need to make and and get enough orders, then then it doesn't happen. That's a really I love that things like that are popping up now. There are a yeah. lot of tools for nonprofits um, and and people who are doing projects or starting businesses to really do things like this. Um, you know, a lot of the crowdfunding things are are really offering a great resource and I'm 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 glad that uh so you've I, I, I saw I, I think on your Facebook page that in, in one or two days you had already exceeded your goal. <laughs> I, this is the first one I've done like this. So ever. So I didn't know how many shirts, you know, would be like a realistic uh, goal to reach and uh, how right. long to put the fundraiser for it. And the um, owner was like, well, usually, you know, it's good to put it for two weeks. Um, and he didn't even give me a number to hit. So I was like, uh, well, how about 50? 50 shirts in two weeks. That sounds, you yeah. know, reasonable. And uh, we, ri- we hit 50 at probably about hour 28 <laughs> of having launched the, um, the fundraiser. So That is wonderful. Well, I mean, that just goes to show the support behind your organization, the support behind you, um, you know, that everyone is rallying behind you. And anyone listening out there, um, you can navigate to her Facebook page, uh, to the Pink Ink Fund Facebook page, and, and look up the, the fundraiser that's going on until, I think, July 1st. And so if anybody July wants 4th, to, to – July 4th. July 4th, sorry. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to sign up and get a T-shirt, uh, please do. I know this, uh, you know, the organization being new, they're doing some wonderful, wonderful things. Amy, you, I mean, I'm, I'm so inspired by you, and um, I, I think you really are a wonderful role model for people who want to grow up to become an artist and who definitely okay. have that talent and have that drive. And you've really navigated a career for yourself that not only – fulfills you, but it, it really also offers great services to other people. 
Um, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thank you, Shannon. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been a, a great conversation. Well, this is Shannon Fisher for The Authentic Woman. You guys are on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsor, Michael Lowndes, who at PMLmedia.com. He's our website professional. Um, and I would very much like to thank Amy Black. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you.